Welcome to the Appendix N Podcast, a Tome Show production. My name is Jeffrey Wynn. This is the show where we read and discuss the authors that influenced Gary Gygax, one of the creators of Dungeons & Dragons, the most important game in the universe. In the 1979 edition of the Dungeon Master's Guide, Gygax published a list of his favorite fantasy authors, and this list has come to be known simply as Appendix N. Every month on this show, we will read a book and talk about it. We will review the story and talk about how it relates to the game being played at your table. If you would like to be part of the show, you can email the host of The Tome Show, Jeff Greiner, at thetomeshow at gmail.com. Listen to the end of the episode for a list of some upcoming books. Before we get to the program, let us take a moment to mention our sponsor, Noble Knight, online retailer of new and outer print role-playing games, war games, board games, and miniatures. Since 1997, they have helped thousands of gamers from around the world save money and find exactly what they need. You can find them on the web at www.noblenight.com. My pick for this episode is the Hollow World campaign set by TSR. You can find it for as low as $18 at noblenight.com. What did you think of that introduction, my guest, Jeff? I thought that it was uh, very eloquent. And with me today is my good friend, Jeff Wickstrom. Would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, sure. My name is Jeff Wickstrom. Uh, so this is just part of a big parade of Jeffs. And I am here to talk about At the Earth's Core. I've been playing Dungeons and Dragons for, oh, I don't know, maybe 20 years. And I'm ready to get to it. That's, that's about uh, half the game's lifespan, so... That's pretty impressive. Yeah, well, I haven't been playing continuously the whole time. I mean, there were breaks for sleeping and meals. Oh, oh yes, those are very important. At, 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 uh, at, at Gen Con, they, they suggest you get uh, two meals a day and mm-hmm. one shower and three hours of sleep, I believe. The 3-2-1 rule, yeah. Yes, got, yes. Got to live by that. Oh, oh so, so, like, every day is, uh, is uh, Gen Con for you. <laughs> Oh, sure, we can say that. Why not? If, if only. Okay. Uh, so, for today's episode, we read At the Earth's Core, which is the first part of Edgar Rice Burroughs' uh, Pellucidar series. Uh, I sort of feel like I'm doing an Edgar Rice Burroughs uh, podcast uh, rather than in a, a podcast about Dungeons & Dragons, because out of, out of five episodes, four of them have been about Edgar Rice Burroughs, but I... I promise we will we will get beyond Burroughs at some point. He was a prolific guy. He was a, a giant in the field. So you yes. know, it, it really it's only proportional to uh, the extent of his influence. I think. Yes. So uh, he wrote lots and lots of books, but we're we're just keeping coverage to the three series that Gygax mentions in Appendix N: the Pellucidar series, the Mars series, and the Venus series. So we are starting uh, the Pellucidar series today. Uh, At the Earth's Core was published as a four-part serial in April 1914 in All Story Weekly. Uh, so it, it came uh, after the second book of the Mars series, but before the third, which we reviewed in the most recent episode, uh, but which I don't think is out yet at the time of this recording. So you're saying that it was, it was presented in a, on a, in a weekly Yes, this was this was a four-part serial in a, in a weekly uh, magazine, so it, it ran entirely in the month of April. 
uh, whereas the, the, the Mars uh, stories were published in All Story Magazine, which I, I'm assuming from the title is, is a monthly magazine rather than a weekly magazine. I don't, I don't really know the difference. Mm-hmm. But same, same, same publisher, same uh, magazine house. Uh, and this, this story, which uh, features a, a hollow earth uh, in, in, inside the earth, uh, went on to inspire such authors as H.P. Lovecraft, uh, Lynn Carter, and even more recently, uh, manga artist Shotaro Ishinomori in his manga Cyborg 009. Uh, apparently, the, the, uh, the, the race of the Sagoths, the, mm-hmm. the, the ape men in the story, was the inspiration at least for the name of H.P. Lovecraft's Shagoths. I could, I could buy that. I could buy that. Uh, I was pleasantly surprised while I was reading this to see a lot of similarities to um, the Lost World of the Warlord by Mike Grill, the uh, uh, comic yes. series. Yes, I believe that was another. 70s. That's a, that's another inspiration that 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 came out of this, and, and of course, uh, it's it's quite probable that Burroughs himself was inspired by H.G. Wells' uh, Journey to the Center of the Earth. I'm pretty sure it was before this. I, th- I think so, probably, although I've never read Journey to the Center of the Earth. Did it have a, um, a big single space with an eternal I, sun in you know, the middle I've, of it? I've never read it either, but I don't, I don't recall. Uh, well, now I feel bad because this is like you know, guessing at literature, the podcast. Uh, well, that's, that's the, pretty much the way this, this show goes. We're, we're, we're certainly not um, scholastic uh, professionals here. We're, we're, we're just taking a stab at uh, the author's in appendix end because nobody else was doing it. Oh, so according to Wikipedia, Journey to the Center of the Earth was actually written by Jules Verne. Oh, did I say H.G. Wells? Yeah. I, you did, and I, thought you were, I, I assumed that you were correct because it, sound, no, H- it sounds H-G plausible. H.G. Wells was the time machine. Yeah. And the Invisible Man, and yes, yes, no, you are you, you are else. correct. It was it was um, I I misspoke. Yes, Jules Verne, uh, one of you know, if, one of the one of the uh, favorite authors of a Mister Doc Brown, if I recall. Mm-hmm. And uh, come to think of it, the, the, the this story starts out a lot like uh, Back to the Future. So um, why don't why don't we we get to our main characters? So. Right away, we are, we are introduced to our hero, uh, Mr. David Innes. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, Jeff, did you, did you read any, any of, of, of the Mars books that we talked about on this, on this show? I read the first two Mars books uh, when I was in high school, which okay. was quite a while ago. Okay. Um, so, uh, Burroughs' heroes tend to be uh, strong, athletic young men. His 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 very first protagonist, John Carter, was sort of this uh, ageless Superman, sort of, mm-hmm. with with strange powers that were never really explained. Uh, David Innes, uh, by by contrast, uh, is a a man of Earth. He has parents. Uh, in, in the beginning of the story, his father has died and left him uh, a mining business. And a large sum of money, I believe. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he was uh, he was nineteen when his father died, and in the will it specified that he had to spend uh, his years up until he was twenty-one working um, working on the mining industry 
for him to actually get the uh, get the inheritance. And, and so it's it's kind of like Brewster's millions, um, except not really at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, do do you recall how old he said he was when the when, like when he takes the journey? Like was was he twenty one at that point? So no, he was actually says that he was twenty. Okay. Um, so I guess he just kind of blew off that his father's last request. So to a he just extent. well. I, I think it's through his business that, that, that he happens to know uh, Abner Perry, uh, a, a scientist who has invented a, a drilling machine, because I think he's, he's checking out this machine as part of his, his mining business, I think. I don't remember. But so, yes. So uh, Innes just happens to know this crazy scientist uh, who built a drilling machine in his garage or something. Yeah, which, is, which is why this reminds me so much of Back to the Future, because this guy just just happens to have a machine that's capable of drilling a hole to the center of the Earth and taking two people with it. Well, it's, it's sort of like he he not only built the flux capacitor, but he also built the DeLorean, because Perry's machine is really there's two components to it. There's the the gigantic drill that is capable of drilling down to the bottom of the Earth, but then there's also the engine, which um, and I'm quoting here, Perry said generated more power to the cubic inch than any other engine did to the cubic foot. Uh, I remember that he used to claim that that invention alone would make us fabulously wealthy. So that's, I mean, that's pretty impressive. Perry is clearly good it, at what he it, does. It makes you want, well, if, if, if he was good at what he, at what he did, he would, he would market the engine that made him fabulously wealthy instead of taking a suicidal trip to the center of the earth. You'd think he'd do that first, yeah. Yeah, but no, science first. Science first. He's, he is a man of science. Science mm-hmm. first. All right. So uh, these, these two, uh, so th- they're, they're basically just testing out this machine, and they just, they just hop inside to take it for a test drive. And, I, and I'm not really sure what it is they plan to do, but they, they, well, they, they, they turn it on. They and, point it at the center of the earth, and then they turn it on, just assuming that they're not going to have any problems turning it off or steering it. Right, and immediately they run into problems. Um, so here is here is um, I want to I want to read this this uh, passage here because all right. So they're, they 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 can't stop the machine. They 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 can't steer it. Uh, uh, David goes to goes to turn the wheel, and 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 this is where uh, Burroughs takes a moment to to tell us. Uh, you know about our our hero's uh, talents, right? He says, I, "I I wormed my way to the old man's side with never a doubt, but that the great wheel would yield on the instant to my to the power of my young and vigorous muscles. Nor was my belief mere vanity, for always had my physique been the envy and despair of my fellows." And for that very reason, it had waxed even greater than nature had intended, since my natural pride and my strength had led me to care for and develop my body and my muscles by every means within my power. What with boxing, football, and baseball, I had been in training since childhood. That's so, it's quite a boast. So, whereas uh, John Carter had been this immortal Superman who had served as a as a Civil War soldier. And was catapulted to even greater strength by uh, his transportation to to Mars's lesser gravity. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, David is simply a a college athlete. 
A couple, a, a, but he's like a triple threat. He's he's uh, boxing, football, and baseball. But boxing, football, and baseball. Yes. Yeah. And boxing is is actually a plot point. Comes up a couple of times. Yes. Yes. In fact, uh, uh, he he apparently considers boxing a science because uh, there's 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 one point where he's he's uh, punching a dude in the face, and and he 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 talks about how his superior science skills. Had had you know saved him from this from this uh, brutish uh, uh, caveman. There, well, there's an art to punching people in the face, and there's also a science to it. Yes, yes. I, in fact, I think boxing is called the sweet science. Yeah, I, I think I remember that from Mike Tyson's Punch Out. Uh, so you, so they 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 basically spend the entire first chapter of this book. Uh, drilling their way towards the center of the Earth, and they're they're all thinking that they're going to die. And here here's also where we're introduced to uh, Abner Perry's penchant for prayer, um, which which surprises uh, surprises me, given the, like the usual what you what you expect in your your mad scientist who created a gigantic mole machine. You're not you don't you don't imagine that kind of stock character and then think he would also be extremely religious. Yeah, um, we we talked a bit uh, in in previous episodes about Burroughs' attitude towards uh, religion, and 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 Burroughs uh, definitely seems quite uh, dis, di- disdainful about about the notion of prayer, or or at least you know loud and 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 constant prayer. Yeah, well, it's uh, for that matter. David seems to hold Perry in a little bit of contempt uh, for it himself. Uh, but anyways, uh, so so yes, so they they pass through several layer, layers of ice, and they're and they're nervously watching this this temperature meter, uh, and and you Jeff, you had a comment about the ammonia. Yeah. So what? what I, I made a note of this um, that they went down five hundred miles, and over the course of that, the temperature rose for the first hundred miles, topping at 150 degrees Fahrenheit, and then it dropped for the next 150 miles down, getting them down to negative 10 degrees Fahrenheit, and then rose again for the last 150 miles until hitting 153 degrees Fahrenheit again, and then it cooled back down to room temperature. Um, so there's a hot layer and a cold layer and a hot layer. And in the cold layer, he makes uh, mention of ammonia fumes, of the, the scent of ammonia, which really caught my eye because that's an odd detail to include. Um, but I did a, a minimal amount of research, um, and it turns out that ammonia was a, uh, and still is, a refrigerant um, used in like meatpacking plants and so on as early as like 1860. So I'm imagining young Edgar Rice Burroughs going to a meatpacking plant or something similar uh, at some point in his life, smelling ammonia, and then when he's writing down it's cold, how do I convey it's cold, he recalls the, uh, that experience. There's, there's, there's always a smattering of, of science in, in Burroughs' science fiction. Um, I mean, he, he, he definitely was a, um, a, a, a armchair scientist, if you, if you will, because, you know, when, when 
in in the in the in the Mars books, he's you know some 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 of the concepts he he comes up with are sort of science based, but whereas others, there's, a, there's like magic rays. Right? Yeah, that that are are like you know you know previously unknown colors of light. Whatever. Mm-hmm. So I'm. I'm wondering if, like, like, can, okay, this is this is my, my ignorance of the, of the real world. Can, can can people even like survive at those at those temperatures? Because I could, you know, I go I go out of my house and it's it's a hundred degrees and I'm I'm really want to get inside. I'm pretty sure 150 degrees will kill you. Yeah. Yeah, you may be able to survive for some amount of time at negative uh, 10 degrees, but probably not for very. You can probably survive 150. 153 degrees for some amount of time. It's not like instant death, but yeah, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully they they had some air conditioning. All right. So, but here's I what I I really want to get to, you know, for for the meat of this show. I I, I really want to get to the world inside the world. So mm-hmm. they 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 pop up in 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 uh, Pellucidar, which is their name for this this world inside. The, the hollow earth right and it's its main features are that there's no horizon which of course you would expect right everything curves upwards you can you can sort of see you know land just sort of curling upwards away from you until it's it's just so far away that, that you can't see it right i just guess because the, yeah. the atmosphere i guess blocks your blocks your blocks your your vision yeah, it's definitely not the case that you can look up and see land. Right. I mean, I mean, the distance is basically the diameter of the Earth minus five hundred feet, or five hundred miles. Yeah, five hundred miles. Five hundred miles. So, I mean, I don't know what that is, but I imagine it's it's a very long distance. It's uh, like three thousand miles. And I was I I was looking up uh, a. Like like maps that people had drawn of uh, Pellucidar, and they don't, you know, for 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 all the traveling in the in in, in this story, they, they don't really travel very far. Like they don't like they they I, I, like I don't think they they they've even explored you know half of a of a hemisphere in the in the course of the story. Well, um, there's I mean there's a lot of space. It's a it's yes, a whole world. Yes. Uh, I think I think uh, a parody at, at at one point mentions that it's 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 the inverse of of Earth, where, whereas Earth is you know three quarters water, Pellucidar is three quarters land, and 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 the he, he, he seemed to indicate that wherever there was water on Earth's surface, there was land on Pellucidar, and vice versa. Yeah, I don't I don't know why that would be unless it was just like a shortcut for for Burroughs, you know. In inventing geography. Yeah, well, maybe, maybe he was imagining that the 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 crust was the same thickness at all times. So, like at Everest in the real world, there's a big pit uh, on 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 Pellucidar. Maybe. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, so, and and the other feature is that there is a sun in the sky at at all times, directly above your head. And this is this is, I guess. You know the 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 core of the of of the earth, but here it's a it's a sun. Yeah, and its its presence fills you with a kind of madness, which is a plot point over and over again. Uh, it just completely eliminates your ability to uh, sense the passage of time. Well, I I I 
guess you could you could call it madness. I mean, um, so I mean, here's here's where I really have to take issue with Burroughs because he he insists that if if there were a noonday sun in the sky, uh, people people would just lose all track track of time, right? I mean that I I can sort of see it for the in inhabitants. But you know, even even David and and Perry, you know, uh, so we're the the we we know that at the end of the story, uh, David escapes because you know the, the 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 story ends at the at at the beginning where we're introduced to David through a through uh, one of Burroughs's uh, usual plot devices, which which is a is a frame story. We're, mm-hmm. we're introduced to David by a man who's who's been traveling in the in the in the Sahara, and he's he's actually met David, who's yeah. who's come out of Pellucidar through through the Sahara Desert, and and that's how we're we're getting this story through this anonymous person, who yeah. is is probably Burroughs himself. Uh, David and a pterodactyl, and uh, he David was so happy to see a fellow white person. Yes, yes, um, and, and so we we learned that. That David's been been down there for ten years, whereas he only thinks it's been a year. Yeah, well, see that. I mean, that starts me thinking about like Pellucidar as fairyland, right? Maybe the passage of time literally is different there. Yeah, it it it, it does seem almost magical rather than scientific because I mean, we we know today that we have internal clocks. And, and if you know, even if if you take away the sun and and the moon, you know we get hungry at regular intervals. You know we 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 have, we, we get tired and we sleep at regular intervals. You know there's hair and you know your beard grows over yeah. time. I mean, so I mean, yes, they they don't have a sun and a moon. They 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 don't have a cycle of of day and night. But I mean, they they have to have. Weather patterns, there, like there, there has to be seasons, like 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 a harvest and a and a and a planting. I mean, I would I would think. I mean, how does agriculture work? Yeah, and I, I may be misremembering, but I think that in le- at least one place, um, David is talking to the inhabitants of Pellucidar, and he gets the impression that they uh, they don't have a concept of the passage of time, that everything is taking place in an eternal now. Uh, but I think he's just that's an idea that he tosses out and doesn't follow up on at all. And I could have just invented that completely. Uh, I, I, uh, Perry is is reading uh, some some books and and he he, he notes that there there's only the present tense. Mm. Yeah, yeah. But I, I mean, yes, there there's no there's no night and day. But I I, what. What I what what I'm what I'm trying to get it, it, at is is that I I I think Burroughs takes the the concept of no time to such an extreme that it becomes uh, re- ridiculous. There's there's a point in the book where uh, David flees uh, captivity and, and has to leave Perry uh, behind, and, and he goes on a whole series of. At, at, chapters at, and chapters. Yeah, chapters and chapters. Right. It 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 mentions him eating and sleeping several times. Like he meets whole new new civilizations and comes back to Perry. And Perry's like, "Oh, when did you get back?" No, yeah. Perry doesn't even say that. 
uh, Perry doesn't react at all because, right. as far as Perry's concerned, he Perry last saw David literally a few minutes ago. Right. I, I've just been reading this this book, and I, I'm I'm sorry, Mr. Burroughs, that seems a, l- a little silly. Yeah, well, I mean, that's what I what I get at when I say that it seems magical. That it yeah. seems it it just seems impossible to take. And and that that, that would be a great explanation, but I don't I don't think Burroughs is like intends it to be magic. Like he thinks this is how it would be, but he's he's not here for us to ask, so it's it's a moot point. Yeah. yeah. But anyways, all right. So, uh, we are introduced to several types of people uh, in Pellucidar. There's the um, there, there's the ape men, these 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 uh, sort of de- degenerate crow magnons. I, I, I believe they're they're called the Sagoths. Well, no, the Sagoths and the monkey people are two separate groups. I I think. Oh, okay. Because you have well, you have the monkey people and the the Sagoths are like gorilla people. But okay. The first the first group that David and Perry encounter, or um, I'm not, yeah, the David and Perry encounter is is monkey people. They have tails. Right. And, yes. And and then they're they're sort of captured from the monkey people by the by the Sagoths who are, are who are basically primitive cro magnon type 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 people, yes? Yeah, I'll, um yes, yes. But 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 actually before that though there's a bit that I want to to point out, which is happens pretty much as soon as they get out of the mole machine and they're looking around and Perry is like, ah, we're in the hollow earth. And David is like, I don't understand that. And Perry explains it very slowly and carefully. And David still doesn't really understand it. And then Perry says, just don't worry about it. Then what happens at that point is that a giant bear shows up and attacks them. Yes. The, the, the first of uh, many, many monsters that we will run into. And, but that's awesome that just a giant bear from out of nowhere comes up and attacks them, it immediately put me in the mind of, uh, of Lost. Well, I mean, that's, that's what you do in Dungeons & Dragons when you're the DM and your, your players are just standing around and they don't know what to do. You, th- you throw a giant bear at them. Yeah. <sighs> so they split up and they get captured by the, uh, by the monkey people. Yeah, alright, so uh, the the... the 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 whole world seems seems to seems to have this this lost world feel right it's 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 cavemen and and dinosaurs and and prehistoric you know animals and and evolutionary uh, you know offshoots that's that's the general theme that we're that we're going with but well, at, I, at one point Perry theorizes that um, the ecosystem of Pellucidar is Earth's ecosystem but like a hundred million years wound back or something like that on the grounds that life didn't get started in Pellucidar, didn't work its way down through the crust um, until well, it had already been established at, on the surface. At, at least human life didn't. Uh, the, so the, the dominant race in, in Pellucidar is, is the Mayhars, which are these, these pterodactyl, you know, lizard-like quasi-humanoids. Uh, they're they're in, intelligent. They they apparently uh, they can't hear, but they can communicate uh, using a sixth sense, which they project through the fourth dimension. Which is not telepathy. Right. Uh, again, I thought that was unnecessarily complicated. I, telepathy would 
have probably been simpler and easier to understand, but I guess Burroughs felt he'd, he'd already done uh, telepathy uh, in, in the Barsoom books. So I, so I I guess he was going for something different. It's, he had a really specific definition of telepathy. He said that it wasn't telepathy because the Mahars couldn't communicate if they weren't looking at one another. Mm. Um, and I suppose telepathy wouldn't have to be looking at somebody to know what they were thinking. You could be on the other side of a wall. Uh, which, I mean, that seems kind of arbitrary. Uh, you know, I could, I could imagine a version of telepathy where you have to make eye contact with whoever you're tele- telepathing with. Yeah, I, I, just, I just sort of assumed, you know, they're, they're, they're lizards, so they would, you know, don't, 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 don't lizards sometimes communicate by, by scent? Um, or, I, I, like, I, I know that, that science fiction and, 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 and space opera is just filled with, you know, in, intelligent lizard creatures and intelligent insect creatures that have some sort of, like, you know, weird, weird communication where they, they communicate through, through, like, scent or pheromones. Or, or, you know, pheromones or colors. You know, I just ran into, like, a, a giant cockroach playing uh, uh, Mass Effect. That, that that had something like that going going on. So, I mean, this this might have been the been the genesis for you know that that type of type of thing, right? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, the the Turians. If I was going to put the Turians up against the Mahars, I would go with the Turians any day. Uh, not not. No, you're talking about the Rachni, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, the Rachni. Yeah, I I just finished playing Mass Effect recently. Do do the so. Turians have some sort of like? pheromone communication no but if you're going to describe somebody as a cockroach person Turian is where my mind goes they're they're more lizard but anyways all right that's that's neither here nor there yeah that's the opposite of what we're talking about. all right so these these mayhars are the dominant race upon pellucidar they are apparently uh scientifically advanced uh enough to uh, uh basically have have come up with a scientific process by which they can fertilize themselves uh, without males, I guess. Yeah, the males died out. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we've, I've, I've talked about, uh, you know, whether or not Burroughs uh, is misogynist, I guess. Uh, this, this whole story is full of uh, misogyny, I would say, even, even more so than the, than the Barsoom series. So I mean we've we've got this race of lizard people, and he says that in the, in the beginning you know the the men were dominant and everything was fine. Then at some point uh, the women uh, took over and made astounding advances in science, particularly in uh, biology and e- eugenics, which is basically means genocide, I think. He may have he may have just meant it uh, as a sciencey word that. He understood to mean genetics, right? But I mean, isn't isn't it the the science of like selecting a a, a certain type of people that you that you want? Like yeah, and not, not not letting the undesirable people have children, right? Yeah, yeah. So it, it's 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 basically you know a a a form of form of uh, 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 genocide, you know, or oppression, right? And it, you know, so they, the, the, the female Mayhars have eliminated, eliminated the, 
the men and uh, there's there's no males anymore and, and they control Pellucidar. Uh, these these sixth sense, fourth dimensional lizard, you know, flying uh, lizard creatures. Ruled by their, their queen. Ruled by their, by their queen. Uh, and uh, sh- she is possibly the most ugly thing that David has seen. Um, so Burroughs, Burroughs likes princesses, but apparently hates queens. Because every, every time we're, we're introduced to one, they're, they're just the, the ugliest and most awful thing in, in the world. And apparently the, the Mayhars keep humans as basically cattle. Because they, they, you know, they, they don't even see humans as in, intelligent. Because they, they can't hear. They don't know that we're talking to each other when our mouths move. Which is something else that he's really inconsistent on, because he says that, and you have the, the gorilla people, the Sagoth, who serve the Mahars, who act as kind of like interpreters in between the Mahars and the humans. Right. Um, but then later on, David is, he's interviewed by a, like a panel of Mahars using um, a gorilla person, a, a Sagoth translator. Yeah. Uh, and it they ask him questions. They expect a response. He responds to them. It it really does not line up at all with the the idea that the Mahars don't recognize humans as intelligent. So they're they're basically just just evil. Yeah. Uh, I, and in fact, I mean, this is this in in one of the most graphic passages that that I've I've come across in in Burroughs' writing. There, there's, there's an episode where they're, they're, they're having this uh, ritual, where the, the, uh, the, the Mayhars basically take a bunch of slaves to this, to this temple where there's, there's, you know, this, this pool of water. Yeah. If, if I was gonna sum up this scene in two words, it would be weirdly psychosexual. That would be the two words. I, I don't see the sexual aspect, but okay. I did, maybe it's just because the uh, the victim, the one who just stands there and is eaten, um, is described as a uh, helpless, plump woman. I don't know. Maybe I've just been looking at the wrong parts of the internet. Uh, okay then. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, so for for those of you who 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 uh, haven't read this this book, uh, uh, basically it 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 starts with the with the queen. Basically hypnotizing the the woman that she wants to eat into like walking into the water with her, and they're they're down there for a long time, like like so long that she should have drowned, but but doesn't, and and they they come back up again, and they and they do this a couple times, and then and then one time she comes back up, and the woman's arm is missing, yeah, and then like other parts of her are missing. And apparently the, 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 the woman is conscious of what's going on and, like, feels everything, but is, is unable to, like, cry out or react at all. And, and eventually she just doesn't come up at all. Which is, really, it's totally different, I think, than the rest of the book. It, it just stands out as a bizarre, um, bizarre sequence. Yeah, I mean it, it's 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 gruesome. It's 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 horrible. 
you know, it's, it's, yeah, yeah, it, it, it definitely stands, stands out. Um, so, so anyways, uh, there's a lot of action in this, in this book, right? David, David escapes. He, you know, um, you know, following, uh, Burroughs typical, uh, plot device, you know, he, he meets a beautiful princess you know, he he meets you know men that he uh, befriends, and and they turn out to be, you know, Im, Im, important people who help him gets who 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 help him get where where he's going. Yeah, he gets he gets captured, and by staggering coincidence, the person in front of him on this on the the like chain uh, chain gang line, the person in front of him is a. Uh, what a, a beautiful princess, and the yes. person behind him is the the captured king of his people. Uh, Gak the hairy one, I think. Yeah, Gak the hairy one. Who is he? Was he not a king? Am I misremembering? I, I you know what? There, there's so many of these. There's there's Gak the hairy one. There's Huja the sly one, and there's like th- at least three other of these characters that he runs into. I I honestly can't keep them all straight at this point. Um. I mean the, the 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 characters in in this story were far less less interesting to me than than the ones in in Barsoom, and 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 far less interesting than than the world really. Yeah, I mean this is this isn't a book about the characters really. It's not. It, I wouldn't even say that it's about the plot. It's about describing yeah. the world that David moves through. I mean, it, 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 except for Abner Perry, just just because the the audiobook that I. I listened to the guy did a did, did a voice for Perry and for like nobody else, and and his his voice for 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 Perry was 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 awesome. Yeah, yeah. He he was just like you know this this you know this crazy old 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 scientist with with a with a squeaky voice. So he he just stood out to me. Yeah, but, Perry is Perry is also super frail. Uh, he keeps falling down, and other people have to carry him. Yeah, well, he's he's an old man. You know, he he didn't uh, you know uh, engage in in all these uh, collegiate uh, sporting act, act activities. Well, he might have when he was younger, but now he's he's old. Right. All right. So, um, David uh, David befriends a woman named uh, Diane the the beautiful. And uh, saves her from Huja, the sly one, and then immediately offends her and can't figure out why for for several chapters. Mm-hmm. And th- I mean, this this is, is another plot device that we've seen before. You know, this this happened with Deja Thoris a couple times. Um, now you'll you'll have to tell me how it worked with Deja Thoris because what I. What the, what's going on here is that David has claimed Diane as his property, right? And he's he and by the by the rules of her of her people, she is now his slave, and he is doing her an incredible offense by not uh, not taking and claiming her, and that's why she is so pissed at him. Um, and and what I took away from that is that she, as a slave, she's a terrible slave. You know, she she ignores what he says. She looks right through him. She's as slave as slaves go, that's bad behavior. Well, she she apparently wants him to him to him to take charge. She wants a take charge man, right? She's a she's mm-hmm. a cave girl from from you know cave man, man land. She she wants a real he man 
caveman who will put her in her place and tell her what to do. I mean, that's that's my my take takeaway, right? Because they're like later later in the story, they 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 reunite. He he saves her her life from this this uh, this from um, the, Jubal the um, the ugly one. Yeah, yeah, the yeah the 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 ugly one, and she she's she still you know hates him. You know, even even though he says he he loves her, and and it goes right on until he gets so mad that he just seizes her, and says you're mine, and 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 forces a kiss on. And she melts immediately. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and because that's what she was she was waiting for, and she had made up the story that now that he defeated Jubal the Ugly One, Jubal the Ugly One's brothers were going to come and beat him up. And she invented that solely to have something to bug him about. And I mean, Deja Thoris wasn't quite so bad. Uh, you know, there were there were a couple of times in in the Barsoom books where uh, she was mad at Carter for a couple of chapters, and he couldn't figure out why. And you know, it's it's. It's it's this sort of you know oh women are these frail mysterious creatures that that men used to think and I guess some still do you know but before we had a society where where men and women sort of mix more freely all the time yeah I mean you know there's well women are women are, are weird and different and they're not like regular people yeah pretty much yeah mm-hmm. I mean that's that's all that we can really I think say about this it's 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 weird to us because we live in modern times where we know different, but I guess I guess this is at at one time what people thought women were really like. Yeah. Well, it's. You know, I mean, I would also consider who who he was writing for. I don't think he was writing uh, for an audience of women. That that is true, and that's that's also something I, I discussed with 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 my guest. Um, you know, it, it it would be helpful to know like what kind of audience was was reading. You know, the the all story. You know, was it was it like like working class men? Was it was it you know college educated men like you know blue collar, white collar? I mean, does it even make a difference? Mm-hmm. Who who really knows? Yeah. Well, I'm 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 sure someone does, and if that person is listening, I want you to come on this show or 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 uh, write to us and tell me why I am wrong. I'm sure Jess Nevins knows. Who's who's that person? Uh, he's a guy who's written a number of books about the history of pulp magazines. Excellent. Well, he's welcome to come on the show. Yeah, if you're listening, Jess, yeah, I dropped your name. All right. So, all right. So, so, uh, so, eventually, all of our heroes are are back together. They they've escaped from from the Mayhars several times at this at at this point. Uh, and uh, they, they have hit upon a plan, right? Well, let's, before, before we get to that, let's talk a little bit about Futra, okay. uh, the city of the Mayhars, because if yes. you're looking, if we're, if we're talking about things that in theory, we're talking, we're, we're relating all of this back to Dungeons and Dragons. Right. And if I was going to pick one thing in this book to relate back to Dungeons and Dragons, aside from the random encounters with monsters, it would be the description of the city of Futra. Okay. Uh, which, uh, in a lot of ways, reminded me of um, oh, B9, The Lost City. 
I'm not familiar with that module. It may not have been B9, uh, but it's about it describes an underground uh, an underground city, underground civilization, and Futra is an underground city uh, inhabited by bird people, which is kind of counterintuitive. Yeah, I, I I somehow missed that it was underground. That's weird. Yeah, it's well, it's underground and it's lit by natural light. They have these mm -hmm. towers that come up and uh, come up out of the ground and then catch the light and bounce it down into the city, and it's all lit with huh. mirrors. I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm not imagining that. That was a, I'm pretty sure that was a thing. Yeah, I I somehow missed that, but that sounds pretty cool. Yeah, and 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 there's there's a part where um, oh, and 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 apparently the the Mayhars experiment on humans, you know, living living humans without anesthesia. Yeah. Oh, here we go. Um, if I can quote, uh, right. re uh, read from it. As we continued on through the main avenue of Futra, we saw many thousand of the creatures coming and going upon their daily duties. They paid but little attention to us. Futra is laid out underground with a regularity that indicates remarkable engineering skill. It is hewn from solid limestone strata. The streets are broad and of a uniform height of 20 feet. At intervals, tubes pierce the roof of this underground city and by means of lenses and reflectors transmit the sunlight, softened and diffused, to dispel what would otherwise be Sumerian darkness. In like manner, air is introduced. Okay. That sounds pretty cool. That's what, that's what I thought. If, if it wasn't full of monsters, I, I might like to visit that place. Yeah, it, it sounds cool. It sounds like the sort of, you know, the sort of place that's a backdrop for adventures. Yeah, and, 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 and getting back to, to Dungeons & Dragons, now that, now, that, now that you mentioned it, they're, they're sort of like, like the drow. I mean, they're 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 a female dominant society. They they live under underground. Um, they have the attendant races, um, the the Sagoth in this case, mm -hmm. and the mm -hmm. drow. Don't the drow enslave somebody? I believe the drow enslave anybody that they can get there you their, go. their hands on. Yeah. Um, so, anyways, uh, so at at one point you know uh, uh david is is recaptured and he's he, he's brought before the mayhars and you know forced to tell them as as you said about about the the outer world and and they completely don't believe him and they they accuse him of of lying and they basically sentence him to 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 death by scientific experiment yeah. and that's i mean that that's kind of a running gag throughout the book uh david is constantly telling the inhabitants, uh, inhabitants of the Hollow Earth that they live inside the Hollow Earth, and the inhabitants of the Hollow Earth are constantly saying that that's stupid and ridiculous. Um, he can't possibly be from the, the outer world. That's just dumb. And David it just marvels that they don't believe him. Um, you know, I mean, humans figured out that the world was round by looking at the horizon and noticing that, like, ships d d disappeared. You, I mean, you, you would think that, that the people of Pelusar would be able to look at the, the, the curvature of the land before them and see that it goes up. Well, the Mahars um, are aware of it, right? But I don't know why the, the humans would not be able to see that. I mean, even, I, I, mean, I don't, you know, during, during Columbus's time, people were pretty sure that the, that the world was, 
world was round, and it, and it, I don't think it was a new concept even then. So it's it's really not like it's hard for for people to figure out. Yeah, um, I mean, the uh, there was some guy in ancient Greece measured shadows in Athens and in Cairo, um, and used that to estimate the uh, the diameter of the Earth with trigonometry. Um, that's cool. And he was corrected within like five percent or something. But yeah, I I don't I don't think the humans of Pellucidar are quite that advanced. But I mean, they, they should yeah they should definitely be, be able to look at the land and see that it curves upward. Yeah, well, I mean, given that the Mahar have mastered genetic engineering or whatever they've done, um, you would think that they would ha- at least have a have a fuller understanding of the cosmos than they seem to. Well, maybe maybe they genetically engineered the humans to be stupid. Mm. They, 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 they certainly seem very stupid. Oh, maybe they, they engineered away their time sense for some reason. Uh, possibly. And, and apparently, so apparently this, this scientifically advanced lizard race just loves cutting open living humans. Because they, like, they're just doing it all the time. Yeah, that's their thing. And, and, and apparently they, they learn things from cutting open humans. We're, we're never told what. It, I mean, I got the impression that the learning things was strictly secondary to the sheer joy of just cutting people up. Yeah. I, he, Burroughs tries to explain it and, and, and justify it, but it really just seems, again, like these are evil monsters. Yeah. And the... Well, I mean, and the description... I would want to contrast the descriptions of vivisection, which are pretty clinical and at a remove, uh, and contrast that with the the weird sequence in the Mahara Temple, mm-hmm. uh, because it doesn't seem like the same thing at all. Maybe maybe he got like letters complaining or something. Maybe. But anyways. Um... So he he uh, escapes, uh, and he's able to find uh, the great secret by which the Mayhars uh, are, are able to reproduce without without males. It, it, which is incredibly fortunate. He happens to be as a slave assigned to the building in um, Futra that stores the secret, and Futra happens to be the one city of all of the Mahar cities where the secret is kept. Apparently, they don't have backups or anything nope well i i guess like at at one point the great secret was 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 public and what happened was the mayhars reproduced so much that it they they threatened overpopulation so that that's why it, it has to be kept secret that sounds uh, it sounds like a justification sure Anyways, so 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 David uh, steals this thing and reunites with with Perry and Diane and you know the the various friends that he's made and they hit upon a plan. Uh, they it at 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 some point David gets it into his head that he is going to modernize and and rescue the the humans of Pellucidar from their their subject subjugation. Right, and he 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 starts by by teaching them, you know, how to make swords and and bows and arrows, uh, and and boxing, of course. The sweet science. Right, 
but he's he, he, but he wants to in introduce them to uh, gunpowder and 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 all sorts of of you know the the technological scientific advances that we have in the world above. Yeah, and that's that's something that I like actually is that Perry and David are trying to uplift the people and. They get the idea of oh, it would be great if we could make gunpowder, and they have really have no idea how to do it. Yes, because when when you you take a primitive people that have lived the same for thousands and thousands of years and suddenly introduce a whole bunch of new technology and completely change the way their culture works, that always works out great. <laughs> well, I mean, not even not even getting to that, they just you know, gunpowder would be great. I wish we knew how to make some. Yeah, it, 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 I'm just I'm just getting at that that most of the things that that, that they want to introduce to these people seem to be weapons. Like we have to get these people some weapons, and then everything will be fine, because they're certainly not going to fight and kill each other. Yeah. But whatever. So um, they so they 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 begin this 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 project and and all sorts of people come flocking to their to their uh banner and they and they make David uh emperor of of Pellucidar cuz he's got the the ideas right but they they say emperor of Pellucidar but i got the impression he was emperor of an area maybe the size of maybe Connecticut you know these these are the same people that that won't believe that he comes from another world, but they believe him when he says, "Hey, I can I can bring you guns. I I know you don't know what 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 guns are, but I will totally bring them to you." Mm -hmm. Um. So the the story ends where, like like you said, uh, Perry and David realize that someone has to get back in 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 uh, the mole machine. And, and head back to the surface because they need they need books. Yeah, they, Perry, they just, there's information they just don't have. Yeah, Perry can't build you know guns and and ships and you know steam engines all by himself. He needs yeah. he he needs books. He's a he's a great scientist. He was able to make that that engine and that mole machine, but gunpowder is just beyond him. Right. Well, he, he's I guess he's very he's very specialized. Yeah. No, it's safe. Uh, so um, they 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 set out to find uh, the the mole machine, and, and you know by, by by this time David has a, has an army with him, right? And and they're they're getting ready to go, and all of a sudden uh, the the Mayhars attack with with their army, and Huja the Sly One is is with him. You know this this guy that's sort of been David's foil throughout this entire uh, story. His his rival for uh, for Diane. Yes. Other, well, other than the ugly one. Yeah. Um, he kind of invited himself along on the escape attempt from uh, from Futra. So there's, the there's this there's this huge epic epic battle because you you can't end a fan, a fantasy story without an epic battle. Uh, and and they 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 quote rescue Huja unquote. From the from from the Mayhars, and he's like, "Oh, I yes, I totally did not lead the Mayhars to where you are. I was totally a prisoner. It was not my my idea. Can I stay with you guys?" And because they have no proof that who just lying, David says it's okay. 
because apparently David has a very strong idea of of innocent until proven guilty. Oh, we had no proof of this, and so we took him in and treated him as one of us, although none liked him. Which is that's that's cold. Nobody liked him. Yeah, well, I, he's he's the sly one, you know. No one no one likes the sly one. Um, so they're they're getting ready to go, and they've they've said their goodbyes. And David gets into his his his, his uh, mole machine because because Perry's gonna stay stay behind, but uh, Diane wants to go with him, and so he sends someone to go get Diane, not knowing that that someone is is Huja, because I guess all cavemen look alike to him. Uh, you know, for the for the big climax, this scene seems just super contrived. You have there's a number of things that have to come together for it to end the way that it does. And, and, and apparently, Huja brings him a a a mayhar covered in a in a lion skin, and he doesn't realize that that the mayhar is is not Diane because Diane was wearing a similar lion skin, and they're they're basically halfway to the surface before David makes the, makes the realization. Yes, and that's the, the pterodactyl uh, that David had way back in the prologue when he met the, uh, met the, uh, the Edgar Rice Burroughs stand-in. Right, the, the six to eight foot uh, reptilian creature covered in a lion skin, he, he can't tell that it's not his beautiful cave girl wife. <sighs> yeah. And the, his beautiful cave girl wife, who had wrapped herself tightly in an enormous cave lion skin, uh, because supposedly because she did not want to have to look at any of the Mahar prisoners. Um, right. Which it, I, I, I feel like Edgar Rice Burroughs could have come up with a more elegant way of getting us to, well, I mean, to this he's, position. He's done things like this before. I mean, the 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 the. Barsoom series was was full of John Carter just you know falling into trouble because he didn't look over his shoulder, you know it's yeah, but you are you are correct. I agree. Yeah, but I mean, I, I don't I don't want to be too harsh on at the Earth's core, you know, for for what it is, um, because he's continuing to introduce cool imagery and stuff about the setting. You know, right up until the end. Um, you know, one of the last things you hear about is the land of awful shadow. Yes, uh, which so lies beneath the dead there, world. There is a moon inside the Earth, floating halfway between the Sun and Pellucidar, and it is stationary. It's like ge- it's like geosynchronous orbit. Kind yeah, of I, I knew there was some fancy word for it. Uh, but yes, so apparently it's it's daylight everywhere except for directly under the moon. Yeah, which is which is in a perpetual twilight, which is something that he just tosses off, um, just tosses that off in the middle of um, talking about David establishing himself as emperor. Yeah, uh, well, I mean that's that's where they run into uh, Diane's brother, who 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 happens to be a prince, and that's and that's sort of David's you know in with the rest of. Pelucidarian uh, society, right? Mm-hmm. All right. So yes. So they 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 they, they get back to to the surface. Uh, David and his and his Mayhar prisoner, 
and they they meet Burroughs, and Burroughs agrees to go, you know, bring him books and and supplies, you know, whatever he he asks for, and he even brings uh, David a coil of uh, copper wire for 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 a for a telegraph. Uh, yeah, because uh, supposedly the mole machine had been unspooling wire uh, behind it, at least on the return trip. So Perry was going to set up a telegraph. Um, well, it was it was going to be because well, no, it's, it, it's they, the the wires did get laid. It's 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 Burroughs that brings David the the wires. Did it? Okay. Yes. I'm, I'm looking at the uh, the very end of it here, and he's saying, "For months, I searched that scorching land, attributing counters, countless desert sheiks, in the hopes that I might at last find one who had heard of Inez and his wonderful iron mole. Constantly, my eyes scanned the blinding waste of sand for the rocky cairn beneath which I was to find the wires leading to Pellucidar. Right, but always, he, I was unsuccessful. He laid those wires on his return journey. Yes. All right. So we agree. Yes, I think. Yeah, I think we were just talking cross purposes for a second there. Possibly. All right. But I mean, that, that's pretty much where it, it ends. Cause we're, you know, we're, we're, we're not really sure what happens to David in his, in his last letter to Burroughs. He says that, Oh, there, there might be Arabs attacking, you know, like they do. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, non, non white people, they attack white people for, for no good reason. Well, it's it's just like the the Indians in the in the beginning of the of the John Carter series. They just you know they just love attacking white people. Yeah. Which you know you know again you know I we we thought uh, Burroughs was 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 pretty good on on the subject of 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 race and and race relations in the the Barsoom series because I mean we're we're introduced to like five different colors of Martians. And, and and by the end of the first three three Mars books, like they're all living together as one people, and that's the best thing that, that ever happened to them. But apparently Burroughs can't extend the same peace, love and understanding to Earth races. It's it's weird. Yeah, well there's you know, in Pellucidar you have the um you know, the white people, um, which is Diane and Huja and Gahak and, and all of them are all mm-hmm. described as being white people. And then there's the red people um, that David encounters during the period where he's wandering around by himself. Um, and then there's the, the, the monkey people, the first group that he meets, mm-hmm. um, who he characterizes as not being smart enough to have fully understood clothing, uh, although they are smart enough to laugh at him. Um, mm-hmm. And... And the the description of the monkey people really put me in the mind of like you know, terrible old racist cartoons mm-hmm. of like South Sea Islanders and such, and did not care for that bit. But I don't know. He, it, it's not like it was the main point of the book. At the Earth's core is not ultimately about how much non-white people suck. Yeah. The, the, so the, at least it's not that going for it. The the civilizations that David and and Perry <sighs> run across in and this book are are a lot less interesting than the civilizations in in the Barsoom books. Um, but I I think it is it is still uh, a a worthy uh, science fiction story for its its 
ideas, even even if even if they they don't all work, I think it's it's worth it to to read it and see what you think about it. Yeah, the the descriptions of the landscape are great. Um, he tosses out all of these ideas about the geography and the setting and the world. Um, we haven't really talked much about the action sequences, but there are a bunch of action sequences, and they're all just they're all really well written. I thought. Was was, uh, was there any that stood out to you? The I thought now something that we we completely skipped over was David's combat with um, uh, with Jubal. And the the lead up to that, um, let's see. In my notes here, I have dragon fight written. Um, oh yeah, he 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 runs into a creature that he describes as a dragon, and it 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 turns out to be a pterodactyl. Yeah, and is that right before? Is that, it's, it's either right before or right after Jubal shows up. I think. I think so. Yeah, it's, uh, it's where he's 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 in the valley where he he meets. Uh, d- uh, uh, where Diana had run to, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so so tell us about the battle. Uh, well, so you have uh, Jubal, who is gigantic, um, and and like half of his face is missing. Yeah, ha- yes, because that's why he's called the Ugly One, because he's hideously scarred. And David is. Uh, is fighting him, and even though David is this, you know, super athlete, Jubal is has you know he has reach on him. He's faster than he is. He's um, the only thing that David has going for him is that he has uh, mastered the science of boxing. So, so he knows like where to hit. He knows how to how to dodge. He knows how to how to bob and weave. Yeah, yeah, and um, yeah. Uh, so all that. Jubal really needs to do is get one good blow in on David, and meanwhile David is gradually picking away, picking away at um, at Jubal, um, eventually killing him, and 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 eventually like gives him like like a good American right hook on the on the chin for for mom and apple pie, right? Mm-hmm. Up he came at last, almost roaring his rage and mortification, but he didn't stay up. I let him have a left fair on the point of the jaw that sent him tumbling over on his back. By this time, I think Jubal had gone mad with hate, for no sane man would have come back for more as many times as he did. Time after time, I bowled him over as fast as he could stagger up, until toward the last he lay longer on the ground between blows, and each time came up weaker than before. This gigantic ogre of the Stone Age, is how he describes him. Yeah, I you know th- I I I thought that was that was a very good good fight, and it 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 showcases uh, Burroughs you know themes of of science and and reason, you know winning out over you know brutality. Although it, it seems kind of ironic to have David as the champion of science and reason, because at no point in the story does he really seem a particularly clever guy. Well, as 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 we've been saying. Boxing is apparently a, a science. Yeah, he's, he's specialized. Yes. Okay. So, Jeff, let's let's just wrap up our discussion. What 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 are your overall thoughts of this book, and and would you recommend it to uh, Dungeons and Dragons players and and dungeon masters? I would cautiously recommend it. Um, I mean, like. Like like any kind of pulp story written a hundred years ago, it has some 
elements that I find really jarring in terms of how unpleasant they are in, in drawing you know, drawing me out of the story. Um, but the the descriptive text is great. There's a lot of of cool little bits about the setting, um, and the action sequences are well described. It probably would not be the I'm guessing, I haven't read the Barsoom book since I was in high school, but I'm guessing that if I was going to recommend one Edgar Rice Burroughs book or series, it would not be this one. Mm -hmm. But if you're, if you're planning on reading all of them, you're not going to look at this one and say, well, this was a really terrible one, I don't think. I would, I would have to agree. Uh, as, I, I've, I've read the sequel also, and I, I, I would have to uh, say that uh, as as a series, I, I would recommend this less so than uh, Barsoom, um, but it it still it still has some interesting i ideas. I mean just just the just I mean just the 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 campiness of you know we're we're going to the middle of the earth in a giant mold machine and and there's there's you know dinosaurs everywhere and there's and and there's and there's cavemen. I mean that. He's, you know, and he's that he takes it completely seriously, which I don't think that you could could do if you were approaching that kind of uh, that kind of material in the modern age. It's 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 a it it is a type of story that that shows up in in science fiction and 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 fantasy. I mean, you know, as as we mentioned, you know, Jules Verne uh, wrote about it. Uh, it. It showed up in in comic books, and there's an entire Dungeons and Dragons setting based on this premise. It's called Hollow World. Look it up. Um, so yeah, this, 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 this sort of prehistoric world with, with, within a world, uh, you, know, you, you, you owe it to, to yourself if, if, if you're an aficionado of, of fantasy fiction to, to at least read, uh, the first book in this, in this series. So you, so you can sort of see where, see the, see the prototype for, for this, this type of idea that's, that's shown up again and again and and again, yeah, know. I I'd never read it, and I'm certainly glad that I did. Okay then. All right, uh, this is where we have to part ways. Uh, before we go, uh, Jeff, uh, would you like to tell people about your website? Yes, I have a website. Um, it is triple w dot jeffwick dot com j e f f w i k uh, and every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, a uh, post goes up talking about another piece of uh, another a completely different classic of fantasy fiction, um, Sir Thomas Mallory's La Morte d'Arthur. Um, I've been going through it uh, piece by piece for a couple of years. At this point, I'm about 90% of the way through, but there's a full archive uh, archive available. And I'm just looking at uh, looking at what happens, and there's so much jousting, so much jousting. But that's that's pretty much what there was to do back 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 before YouTube. Jousting and accidentally murdering damsels; uh, those are the two things that knights got up to a lot. Oh, you don't you don't want to murder damsels, doesn't doesn't that mean like you you get cursed? It well. Sometimes there are consequences, and sometimes there are no consequences. At one point, uh, Guinevere is so sick and tired of hearing about how Sir Gawain has 
been murdering damsels randomly. She assigns him a platoon of ladies-in-waiting to follow him around and scold him whenever he does something wrong. I see. And, and how does that work out? Uh, it would work out a lot better if Mallory didn't completely forget that he had, uh, had introduced that concept in the, the very same chapter. <laughs> I see. That's something that he did a lot. He was there's there's so many continuity errors. And if but. if uh, if uh, fans of the show would like to uh, write to you or or follow you, uh, do you have an email address or Twitter account that you uh, care to share publicly? Sure, my email address is uh, jeffwick at gmail dot com. J e f f w i k at gmail dot com. Okay. Um, I have a Twitter account that I never use. So there's no point in mentioning it. All right. So if you would like to uh, contact uh, Jeff with uh, you know, praise or questions or whatever, uh, you, can, you can email him at uh, the email address just mentioned. And if you have questions or comments from me, if you would like to be a guest on the show or contribute in some fashion, you can contact me through the Tome Show at thetomeshow at gmail.com. Make sure to put Appendix N in the subject line. Uh, Jeff will be back with me in about a month to discuss the follow-up to At the Earth's Core, which is simply titled Pellucidar. Make sure to watch for it. Coming up in the near future, we will be reading The Moon Pool by Abraham Merritt, The King of Elfland's Daughter by Lord Dunsany, also known as Edward Plunkett, and finally in October we will begin reading the short fiction of H.P. Lovecraft. Couldn't have timed it better if I'd tried. All these stories are available for free on the interweb. Seriously, go look for them. I invite you all to read along with us, and I very much need guests for all these shows, so if you'd like to be a part of the Appendix N podcast, that email, once again, is thetomeshow at gmail.com. This has been a Tome Show production of Appendix N, Episode 5, At the Earth's Core, by Edgar Rice Burroughs. Thanks for listening.